and minimalists. <laughs> Let's record a podcast, y'all. Yeah. Man, I know it's really probably weird for some of you to see me up here on stage by myself without Josh. It feels really weird, I'm not going to lie. Um, Josh and I, we have, been, we have been on tour eight times in the last seven years, and neither of us have ever had to uh, cancel anything because we were sick. And let me tell you, like, we have done some shows when we were under the weather, so just to give you an idea of how under the weather Millie is, um, yeah, he, uh, he unfortunately couldn't be here, but I am very, very happy to be here, and uh, we've got some special guests, but before we get into it, I need to do like an official introduction for this podcast. Are you ready, Sean? Give me a signal or something. All right, let's get this started, Sean. Hello, my name is Ryan Nicodemus, and I am one half of the Minimalists live at Sixth and I in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow, that was great. <laughs> oh, man, so I know Josh isn't here. Just for the, the listeners at home, uh, Josh woke up this morning with a 103-degree fever. Um, he is at the hotel resting right now. I think he was, like, getting in uh, some, like, IV stuff uh, put to him earlier today. He will be fine. Um, I promise uh, he will bounce back. But good news, though, it's not just me up here. I've got, I've got one special guest I want to introduce first. Uh, this gentleman, uh, he is a, well, first off, he's just as awesome as Josh. So this is a great replacement. <laughs> hey, you ever thought about doing a minimalist website? <laughs> so, no, uh, this, this gentleman, he is a, a, uh, a professor at Georgetown University uh, in, in computer science. Um, Josh and I have been friends with him for over five years now. The first time that we actually met him, it was at a, it was a conference. It's called World Domination Summit. Some of y'all might have heard of that. It's a, run by a guy named Chris Gillibo, who actually was on Podcast 97 of ours. If you, he's a really cool dude if you want to check him out. So this, this uh, conference we were at, um, Josh and I were, were in the crowd, and um, this gentleman gets up on stage, and he starts talking about how, how the advice to follow your passion is shitty advice. <laughs> and he's telling this to a thousand very, very passionate people. And I was very skeptical at first, um, but after listening to him talk, and especially after reading a couple books of his, the first book I read of his, it was called So Good They Can't Ignore You, and it's essentially about how they, they, the book talks about how people are able to, uh, to, to learn how to love the work that they do. And then his most recent book, uh, Deep Work, it talks about... <laughs> so he's got some fans here. That's great. Uh, Deep Work, it, it talks about uh, how, how 
undervalued, uh, the, how undervalued focus is. And I know one thing that when it comes to any type of passion, the more focused you are, the greater that, be, that passion will become in your life. So uh, I'm not going to say any more about him. I'm just going to welcome him to the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Cal Newport. Thank you, Ryan. First of all, we should get a lot of credit for dressing up for this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is my Ryan Nicodemus outfit. <laughs> you look great, man. You're looking very sharp. <laughs> so, uh, so the way uh, that the podcast usually goes, you know, Josh and I, we answer voicemails, uh, comments on Twitter, so forth and so on, but that'd be weird if like I was on my phone or if Cal was on his phone up here. So we've got a microphone right here. Um, we'll probably have time just to give you a heads up for about six questions. And if you got a question about passion, this is the guy to ask it to. Um, I always steal my passion answers from him anyway. So here he is to give him himself. Uh, but before we get, we get to questions, um, talk about, you had a really interesting TEDx talk about uh, quitting social media. Yes, that's true. I, I did give a TEDx talk that was titled Quit Social Media. And uh, I got up on stage and I gave a 20 minute talk about why people should quit social media. And then I went and watched it, and as someone pointed out, there is two young women in the front row on Instagram throughout the entire talk. So <laughs> let that be a lesson about the power of the spoken word. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that changed minds. Uh, no, I did give a talk saying quit social media. I was being deliberately provocative. I mean, obviously there's value for social media. Obviously there's things that people get out of it. But there seems to be this sort of universalism around it. You're not really allowed to question it. You have to use it whether you want to or not. And not just that you have to use it, but you have to sort of use it in the way that the companies want you to use it, which is compulsively and all the time. And so I figured there, there should be a voice out there that was standing up, being provocative, not giving the obvious caveat. So I stood up and gave some reasons for why I thought not everyone, but a lot more people should quit social media. Yeah, it's a really excellent talk. I would, I would uh, highly encourage you to check it out. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a great talk. I'll just leave it at that. All right, so we've got no questions. All right, good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I love that. That was great. <laughs> we almost got out of here, right? Oh, man, that was so close. All right, uh, you know what, though? Before, before we get to your question, I want to I uh, call uh, Paul from Canyon City up here. Uh, we were having an amazing conversation at the airport um, earlier today talking about how he went from cultivating this passion to uh, kind of bargaining with his values and beliefs to ultimately coming back full circle uh, to make even better work um, than, than what he thought he could make. And uh, I would love to have him up here to answer some questions. And plus, it's going to help me a lot more to have two people up here answering questions. Come on up, man. Is he up? Is that great music or what? Yeah. Ryan, nobody told me there's a dress code. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect, man. I, I did just realize this is like the taller chair. You were like in the in the throne right now. I, th I think actually, Cal's going to lead the rest of this podcast. Yeah, this was in my rider. I believe <laughs> that's yeah. what it was. I need six inches over Ryan. That was <laughs> anything for you, Cal. All right, sir. Uh, just introduce yourself. Tell me where you're from, and, and what's your question? Uh, good evening. My name is Matt from Rockville, Maryland. 
Thank hey, you. Matt. Thanks for coming out. <clears throat> I discovered minimalism about a year ago through your documentary and uh, was immediately uh, just set on fire emotionally and started following your website, reading your essays. I think I've pretty much read every one. I've listened to every podcast. Shortly thereafter, I discovered Mr. Newport's TED Talk, and that really, really resonated with me. I experimented and took one month away from social media, and while I have intentionally returned to it, I've curated it appropriately, and, uh, and I'm using it a lot, uh, significantly less. So that's made a tremendous impact. I also went ahead and read both of your books, So Good They Can't Ignore You, and Deep Work, and I want to thank you for both of those, because those have been tremendously impactful and have added a lot of value to my life as well. So, um, Josh, I know you'll listen to this eventually. I wish you well. Um, I'm praying for you, and I hope that you do feel better. And I want to thank Mr. Milburn as well. The three of you guys um, have really been like mentors to me. And so you guys have added a tremendous amount of value to my life. And so I want to thank you. And with the ladies that have come here with me, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for everything that you've contributed to my life. So I really appreciate that. Um, what I realized through your book is that I've actually spent the last 25 plus years of my life cultivating my passion. I've actually been doing that. And my passion is coaching the sport of powerlifting. So I'm not sure if you know what that is, but... Oh, I know what power... I mean, okay. I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it obvious? But I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I know... I'm, not... <laughs> I'm kidding. I do like deadlifts and like one other... Anyway, keep going. Well, that's, that's one of our... Yeah. That's one of our events. Yeah. So I... Um, I, I realize that, that what I want to do is what I want to contribute most is by leaving a very profound legacy by impacting other people. Mm. And part of the legacy that I would like to leave behind is a book. And as published authors yourselves uh, and Josh as well, I went ahead and enrolled in Josh's class. Oh, awesome. And it was a fantastic class and I learned a lot. Um, what I did, however, my biggest takeaway was the fact that while I do enjoy writing, I'm not passionate about it. And so my question to you um, is that with today's short attention span world of social media, blog posts, short articles, and videos, all that seems very fleeting to me. And so I would like to leave something behind that's more enduring and more meaningful. And so do you think writing a book is a good way to leave behind something for a distracted society who's mostly unwilling to take their eyes away from the glowing screens. Uh, so I'm just asking if you might have any suggestions, if you think that I might want to abandon the book deal, uh, you know, and go down another path. I've been published before, but never in book form. So I figured I'd ask authors and my mentors. No, that's a great question, man. It's funny, you said you're discovering you're not passionate about writing. And I'll tell you, man, uh, I am about 60% not passionate about writing. I mean, it's, I think that's kind of the life of a writer. I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Cal, but in the same as you, Paul, but uh, I really loathe writing, but I love having written. And that is where all, that's where all the reward comes from. I feel you. And, and, and I guess the one thing I was really thinking is, is, dude, I think you should do your book. I think it sounds like you have a. It sounds like you're really passionate about the idea of the book, mm -hmm. um, but you do have to put in that deep work to get that book completed. And you know what? When I first started writing, it was even less, it was probably ninety ten. It was it was even less than that. I was um, talking to a. Uh, I was doing an interview before this, and um, I was I was telling the reporter. I was like, you know, 
up until I was like 28 years old, I never wanted to write anything in my life. Like I did that packing party and um, I always kept like some kind of journal or something. And I was like journaling that stuff. Uh, that's about the extent of the writing I would do. But I remember like, oh, like I actually want, I want to put this out. Like I want someone to read this. And I went to Josh who, uh, you know, like when we were fat little fifth graders and we get like a, a, you know, you have to write this two page assignment on your, your favorite pet you've ever owned. I'd be like, oh, we got to write a paper. And Josh is like, I don't see why you see the big deal in writing papers, man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, and I went and, 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 we, and we, we, we started writing together and, and I did start very passionate and then certainly it started to wane. And uh, the thing that got me through it the most, it was A, it was an accountability partner. Like I really uh, appreciate having people like, like Josh who was there to kind of coach me. But not only that, but... Um, Podcast Sean, uh, he, he was in you know Ohio editing our books that we would send him. So having a good foundation of people that uh, you know. It, by the way, I, I mean I already mentioned his name, so I gotta like tell him thanks now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, back there he is like the man behind the minimalism. He is our like tour bus driver, website editor, book editor, anything you can imagine, any job we don't want to do. Podcast Sean does it, ladies and gentlemen. Podcast Sean. So I would say uh, uh, build a good team around you, people, people that will support you. And maybe they're not going to like coach you with writing or maybe they're not going to edit for you, but at least they'll be there to, to hold you accountable. So that's, I think that's probably step number one. And then the, the second step is you got to sit in the chair, man. Those, those are the most, and that's the most important advice that any, any writer could receive is you've got to sit in the chair. Now to help you sit in the chair, there's a couple of things you can do to, to help you stay there is you know, don't, don't give yourself a, a word count, just commit to a certain amount of time and you might have a totally different approach to this, which is great. Um, uh, but, but that's what I do, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it for at least an hour and a half, I'm gonna do this for two hours and I commit to it. I get rid of all distractions, I will uh, get, uh, turn off my Wi-Fi, put my phone on airplane mode, um, sometimes I will put my phone in a different room. I have, I, before um, I would leave, uh, I've done this before where I would leave my computer and my phone like in the office. And then when I was home, I could, I could read, I could write, and then I wouldn't even touch those things until I got to the office. So find some accountability friends and uh, sit in the chair. And the, and the easiest way to do that, or I shouldn't say the easiest way, but the way to help you stay seated in the chair is get rid of all the distractions that you can so you can focus on that time frame that you're committing towards. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, I agree with everything Ryan said. Uh, just to use it as a, a sort of a, a case study to elaborate the broader point at play here is this notion, and this was the notion in, in my book about passion, which, which you were pointing out, which is that we, we overvalue right now in our culture this idea that there should be a sort of strong, subjective, sort of emotional, chemical feeling that should guide us always towards what we should be doing and not be doing. So we have this idea that I should feel this upwelling of, yes, this is exactly it, and if I don't, something's wrong. And so when I stood up on that stage in front of a thousand very passionate people in Portland, Oregon and told them, you know, follow your passion is bullshit advice. It was done dodging the uh, kale. Uh, <laughs> I don't know they were throwing at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he got so much kale thrown at him. So much, all in my hair. No, it's... But, but that was the point I elaborated is that 
passion for your work is fantastic and what I was seeking, what I was trying to write about, and what's getting in people's way is this idea that it has to be there first and it has to be completely there in advance and that's what's stopping people in their tracks. So the idea, as Ryan was pointing out, that maybe you don't feel this drive to sit down and write. I've never met a driver who, or a, a writer who does or a driver who writes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but here's the nuance I would throw and this is something I've been thinking about recently. There is another sort of subjective I would call it intuition that I do think is useful. Uh, I sometimes think of it as the, the gut hunch. And so sometimes when you're, you've, you've been working on something, you get this gut hunch that's basically just the, the, the aggregation of many different bits of information and evidence and experience that your mind is trying to make sense of. You haven't pulled together into a completely coherent thought. And it gives you this sort of intuition. If the intuition is, I think I'm kind of onto something here. I don't really want to do it, it's hard, I can think about arguments, but I think there might be something here. This, this message I have about perhaps like power lifting, there's something here that, that I want to get out. You trust the hunch. And if you feel the hunch going the other way saying, I, I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't think I have the, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm writing, but I don't know if I have the message there yet. I, I don't quite know if I have the story I want to tell. That also is useful. So I've been a big proponent recently of undervaluing or trying not to care too much about big upwelling feelings of passion that you have to feel, this is what I, I want to do in advance and just try things, get in there, do the deep work. But then what you want to tune into is how that sort of intuition begins to start to solidify right below the level of, of sort of purely articulated conscious thoughts. So we were talking earlier and you were telling us about how if you're left alone, you just start writing albums. Right, yeah. So has that passion that you have, is it, uh, when you write, is it, is it driven purely off of, of passion? Yeah, it's, um, I think that in my journey, I found that I had to interrogate the, uh, I had to interrogate the, the passion or what I thought was the passion. I had to interrogate the desire, basically having to ask myself, uh, why, is it, why is it that I feel like this is my passion? Why is it that I want to call this my passion? Uh, and so what, uh, what didn't work was when I did the things that, that I thought that I should do on paper, which was to get the record deal and to um, try to make music, make enough money so I can make more music and that kind of thing. Uh, and then I had to really sit down and say, well, why, I mean, I sa sacrificed so much to do this. Why, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And really try to find those deeper things, uh, connecting with others, connecting with myself, and really try to find that moment that, um, uh, that you probably have much more scientific insight into, but that, it's that, that feeling of, um, I guess, getting outside of yourself and trying to get into that place as much as possible. And uh, that was really helpful for, for me. So, I mean, I would say that I think in, in you saying that, that writing is not really your passion, uh, however powerlifting is, I think that's great because what you've done is interrogated the, the desire. You've taken a look at the action and said, well, here's, here's the passion within the action. And so writing might be the commute, but you love the job that you're driving to. Um, and I, I think that makes the commute totally worth it. So I think it's great. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great, man. The only thing I will add is Right, if you're going to write this book, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Because like what, what Paul just said about how he started writing to get the record deal. He started writing for other people. And I'll tell you, there are some days that I want to do that. But I know that if I do that, I'm going to create something vanilla. And, you know, everyone likes vanilla ice cream. <laughs> but not many people's favorite ice cream is vanilla. So uh, I, I, will, I will go out of my way to make sure that I am writing for the right reasons and, and make sure you're not doing it just 
just for the paycheck. I mean, do it because you love it. You have something you want to say. You have something you want to get out there. Um, and make sure that that's what's driving you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Howdy. Hi, my name is Marion. I'm from Winchester, Virginia. And this is super hard for me to get up here and do this, but ever <laughs> hey, since- you tried being up here. I know, right? <laughs> I can imagine. Mary, you're doing great, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have uh, watched your movie four times. I have embraced it. I have listened to every podcast, except for I stopped for a month, so when I came here, it would be fresh. And so I have like four or five in the bank to get back to. Um, I've really enjoyed the people that you introduce us to, and through that end, when you had uh, Rich Roll on your podcast, I fell in love with that guy and have started to embrace things that are out of my comfort zone. I love it. And so my, which has led me to start to run, which I've always said, if I'm running, call the police because I'm being chased. <laughs> and now I run a mile and a half or three miles a day, and that is something that never would have happened. I'm headed Woo! toward... I'm headed toward veganism. I was a vegetarian before, but I'm probably 80% in the vegan area, and which is pretty amazing. And so what it's led me to is that health is the thing that's super important to me. Things are not important to me, and you should have seen. I brought carloads to Goodwill and the hospice thrift store and just gave it all away. So that being said, my question for you, since this is super hard for me and my right leg is shaking and you can probably see that, <laughs> when is the last time you did something that was out of your comfort zone, and what was it, and what drove you to do it? <laughs> Mary, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a great question. First off, congratulations on all the changes you've made and the trajectory, trajectory that you're heading in. Like, that is... Thank you. It's unbelievable, Mary. Yeah, Congratulations. It's, it's been a great year, and I, appre I appreciate it, and thank you guys for your inspiration. I, no, I, I was laughing when you asked that question, because literally before I was getting on stage, I'm like upstairs in the, in the green room, and I'm like, I, have ne I haven't been this nervous to go on stage since the last, the last time him and I were on stage together in, in D.C. back in 2014, like towards the beginning of our 100-city tour that we did. Yeah, I felt for you when you came out by yourself. I'm like, holy cow, <clears throat> this, is, this is something. Thank you. And, and then I was so nervous I couldn't find the door when I was trying to exit. I don't know if y'all caught that or not. <clears throat> um, but no, you know, um, this morning uh, Josh was like visibly ill. Um, I didn't want to like bring down him, you know, bring him down anymore, but like we're at the airport and he's like trying to be his, like, you know, his Josh self talking to me and, and Paul and Kevin and Jess and Sean and Mariah and Bex. And like, I'm just looking at him, but I just wanted to be like, dude, shut up. <laughs> you look horrible. <laughs> Go get some rest. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, yeah, when we, when we got to the hotel, he was like, dude, we're going to have to cancel. Like, I, I, we're going to have to, like, reschedule. And I'm like, man, dude, like, the show's so close. And I'll tell you, if it was back in 2014, I would have been like, yep, got to reschedule. <laughs> um, but, you know, I felt like with having these two amazing gentlemen here, we could still make this uh, a meaningful event. 
And yes, it is very nerve-wracking for me to uh, not have my, my counterpart. Um, someone gave us the best compliment in, in one of our hug lines. They came up to us. Often people will like, they'll draw, um, you know, what we're talking about on stage, and like that's how they kind of take their notes, and maybe they'll put some words in there too. But he showed he showed me this, and it was like it was split between two sides, and he had like brain, and he had heart, and it was like all these notes and drawings and stuff, and he was like. He's like, man, when I hear you guys talk, it's like Josh is, he talks to my brain, and he's like, you talk to my heart. So I literally, like, before the stage, I was like, dude, like, you're my brain, man. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what to do without you. <laughs> um, but uh, we talked about it, and, and yeah, like, I, I was telling Cal before, and I'm like, this is going to go great, or it's not, and that's okay. I'm going to get out there and learn something at least. Well, it's going great. Thank you very much. Great. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say briefly, I'm a quiet introvert that doesn't like crowds, and yet I somehow engineered this life where all I do is speak in front of lots of people. I mean, I've dealt with the shaky leg, I've dealt with the out of breath, not being able to get the breath, I've dealt with the fast heart, I've dealt with the fainting, like the, I'm feeling really dizzy, I've dealt with the sweat attack, I mean, you know, I, and yet at some point, my wife and I just had this conversation where we decided... Uh, Trying to avoid hardship is a losing strategy. Let's just sort of uh, let's just sort of acknowledge that life is just going to be full of things that are interesting but nerve-wracking and hard. And let's just focus making sure that we're doing things that we're happy that we're doing. So I'm always out of my comfort zone, but a little while ago I became comfortable with that. <laughs> so it's possible. <laughs> well, you know, to your point though, man, that's that's how you get comfortable with being outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. It's like. Um, go out there and fail, like go out there and get uncomfortable. And, and when it comes time to when you really have to make yourself uncomfortable, it, it is a whole lot easier. I'm trying to remember, um, <clears throat> I think it was a different WDS uh, maybe, but anyways, this gentleman gave a talk, uh, TEDx talk. Uh, Sean, I will link it in the notes. I can't remember his name, but it'll be in the notes of this. Um, he basically, uh, quit his job, he talked to his wife, he's like, I want to quit my job, I want to try and start my own thing, um, give me six months, if I can't find a job in six months, uh, I'll go back to work. So he's like, willing to take the plunge. Quits his job. He uh, starts his own little business, has, a, has some people interested, some, some people interested in investing in the business, and everything is going great. And like three months into it, all of a sudden, like, the rug just gets swept out from underneath of him, and he, he, you know, it failed, essentially. So he went to his wife, and he's like, yeah, it didn't work out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and go back to work. And she's like, no, you said six months. It's only been three. Like, why don't you try to do something else? And um, he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to try something else. And he kept uh, trying to, like, start these other businesses, put together these business plans, and he was scared of failure once again. So it really held him back from really getting anything off the ground. And so he asked himself, he's like, how can I get comfortable with failure? And this is where I got the idea. I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. He's like, I need to practice failure. I need to practice being uncomfortable. So he went and did stuff like, oh, he, he went, walked into a, um, like a Krispy Kreme donuts and it was like around the Olympics. And he was like, hey, um, I noticed all you got are, all you have are glazed donuts is there any way you could put like five donuts together, color them up, make them look like uh, Olympic rings, like 
just out of the blue. He asked for like hamburger refills. He, <clears throat> that was a great hamburger. Can I get a refill on that? It's like my dad's joke. <laughs> That's a phrase you'll never hear Rich Roll ever say. No, Can no. I have a hamburger refill? <laughs> Um, no, that's true. Uh, but he, the, the crazy, two craziest things he did, he literally flagged down a police officer who was in his car, stopped him and said, hey man, I just have always wanted to drive a police car. Is there any way you let me drive your car? <laughs> and then the second thing is, is he went to an airport and he saw a guy taxiing in a helicopter. He's like, hey, can you, can you give me a, a, a lesson in flying a helicopter? Do you mind doing that for free? And like everything that I just mentioned, every single one of them said yes. And the thing is, is like what that taught me is a couple things. It taught me that A, practice failure, practice being uncomfortable. And the other thing too is that people generally, they want to support you. Generally, they are rooting for you, especially if you are coming to them and, and you're excited and, and you've got a, you know, some respect and you've got a really good attitude. People, they, they want to mirror that and they want to help. So uh, I think that that's, that's like my best advice for failure is like, A, um, realize that people don't want you to fail. They want to help you succeed. And the second thing is, is, is practice failing, practice being uncomfortable. Thank you. And I want to say when I came up here, I knew that it would be really hard. And my biggest fear was not coming up here. So awesome. just, be, just doing this and standing in front of everybody was an amazing Mary, experience. you are very brave. Thank well, you so thank much. You. Can I ask you one question real quick, Mary? Mary. So right now, would you say that you are passionate about running? I am getting there. I love it. I am getting there. No, I love it because I think it ties in with am, the book. It's, it's, you're getting I there. I am getting yes. there. I am, but I am way more passionate really about the eating and the veganism and animal rights and all of that stuff. So all I'm right. heading that way. Yeah. Keep up the great work, Mary. Thank, Thank you so much. All right. One second. We'll get to you, I promise. This is... Uh, this is you know what time it is, right? Yes, it is lightning round time. This is, uh, yes, this is the hashtag Ask the Minimalist lightning round where we answer questions from social media, but again, Cal's not gonna be on his phone up here. So we'll just, we'll just, we'll just answer your questions. So the way that this works is uh, they will ask a question. We usually, on the podcast, we usually give a pithy answer, a tweetable size answer. Uh, since we didn't have weeks to prepare for this, it's okay to ramble a little bit. And then you just kind of tweeze something out that sounds really nice and pithy. And the good news is, is Twitter just doubled their character count. There you go. So now it can be up to a 280 character answer. Can I do like the thing where I screenshot the note that has like the, the full paragraph? Perfect, yes. <laughs> Howdy, what's your name? Hi, my name's Diana. Um, where are you from, Diana? I am moving to Reston. Um, yeah. So there's a little story that goes with that. Um, I listened to a lot of your podcasts, and there was an episode that was about um, debt and, you know, how Josh is like, oh, there's no good debt. And Ryan's sort of like, well, you know, I think debt can be used as a tool. And so um, I'm 44. And Wait, so is that the one where he called me the voice of emotion? I, I, I don't remember. Yeah, that. anyway. All right, keep going. And, and so I'm 44, and um, rent here is so high. And, and our rent increased by 5%, okay? Long term, when I think about retirement, do I really want to be renting? That, it's just not sustainable. Um, and I did get financial advice on this. And so I decided I'm going to buy a condo. And so I did that. It was a 21-day close. 
I signed on it on October 17th. Fast forward, we're supposed to move in on Saturday, and a week ago, um, the water shutoff valve to the unit broke and flooded the entire condo. Ah, but... I am so sorry. No, no, this is okay. Or, con- or congratulations, I don't know what no, to no. say. This, this is okay. Number one, because of your documentary and because I started downsizing a year ago and I gave up 75% of my books and I went digital and the only books I have are either not in print or not available electronically and I gave away five bookcases and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I can, we can actually fit all of our stuff in the 10 by 15 storage unit we have to move everything into so we can live in a hotel while the homeowner's insurance, yay homeowner's insurance, pays for like an entire renovation. So there, you know, this is, this is not a terrible thing. Um, so now to my question, what does this have to do with minimalism? So now that I own property, I'm like, well, I really, really need to have a will. And, um, and I, a recent podcast, Josh had said, you know, he was getting sick, and he decided he was going to rewrite his will. And whenever I get to this place where I'm going to write a will, you know, I'm like, I get an analysis paralysis. Like, what, like how do I determine who's going to get what? And now that I've seen the documentary, do they even want my stuff? Like, really? You know, I mean, I don't want all my, all my, you know, I don't want my parents' stuff. Why would someone want my stuff? And so my question is, what does estate planning look like for a minimalist? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, um, man, there's so many things you said I just want to like touch on. Let's talk about debt for a second. There is no such thing as good debt. I totally, I totally agree with that sentiment. Um, the, the thing, the, actually, th- there's always an exception to the rule, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg just bought a $20 million house, got a 30-year mortgage on it because you get a 3% interest and you put 20 million bucks in the bank, make 6% year over year, blah, 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 blah. If you're rich, that's great. But for us poor folk, <laughs> this is, this is, th- that, is not, that is not something that is good. Uh, it might be... It might be um, a tool, like you said. Like, let's say that water pipe busted. You literally had zero in your bank account. You needed a thousand dollar deductible. You had to put it on your credit card or something. Like, yes. Like Josh would sit up here and he would be like, "No, you could find another way." And but like, I am not so uh, uh, totalitarian when it comes to when it comes to stuff like that, especially emergencies. Um, but but you know, at the end of the day, you're right. I think owning a home. If you, if you know you're going to be somewhere for six or seven years at least, it's okay. it, yeah, if you're going to put down a reasonable amount, like I would totally, uh, again, was talking to the reporter. She was like, so you, you would never take on any debt. And I'm like, you know, I, I never say never because that always like bites me in the ass. But um, I could think of one scenario where it's like, yeah, if Mariah and I, if we like picked a spot, we were like, oh, you know what? We're going back to Montana. We're going to be there for the next, you know, six, seven, ten years. And I had, you know, 50% down payment or 20, you know, whatever that down payment was, I, I take out maybe a seven-year fixed mortgage. But the 30-year mortgage to me, for me, like I would never take that on myself personally. So um, I don't, like Josh and I don't certainly judge anyone that does anything like that. And I always feel like I have to preface the debt talk because I know there are people out there who have debt and they are using it as a tool 
and I don't want to make anyone feel bad about that. Um, so congratulations on your new home. Thank you. That's my long-winded way of saying that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but no, it's, uh, it's interesting. So when it comes to um, putting a will together, I went to, and they do not pay us or anything. I just went to LegalZoom because it is so intuitive. What would you like to do? A will, great. And then I'll ask you more questions. I mean, it's just like point and click. Um, it is a little bit, I, I came across the same thing where it's like name your beneficiaries and you know, who's it going to go to. I picked uh, the four people in my life who I really would want to have everything uh, th that, that I had um, if, I, if I pass away and they're still alive. So I just I split it all 25%. That was just me. It was an easy, easy way to do it. 25, 25, 25, 25. Um, when it comes to my stuff, well, I don't have a lot of stuff. So estate planning for a minimalist. Um, oh, here's my pithy answer. <laughs> estate planning for a minimalist isn't that hard because they don't have a lot of shit to get rid of. <laughs> what about you guys? Do you guys do any, like, I, you, guys, you guys got wills? If not, you really should. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm the wrong person for this pithy answer because I'm 20 year old with no will. But I would say that my pithy answer, if I knew better, would be that uh, estate planning for a minimalist is intentionalism on behalf of others. Uh, and just what what uh, what do you think would be valuable to others, and then um, what would be valuable to potentially like charities, that kind of stuff, and just what um, yeah, intentionalism on behalf of the others. I won't ramble anymore on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't have something specific to say about estate planning, though. I think the a closely related point is that it, it seems as someone who's sort of observing the minimalism movement from one foot in, one foot from the outside, it seems like one of the most exciting sub-communities in here right now is the sort of aggressive early retirement financial independence sub-community of this movement. So Absolutely. Yeah. If you look at like Pete Adney, Mr. Money Mustache stuff, or my wife's favorite, the Frugal Woods up in Vermont, there's actually some really interesting, aggressive, I think very sort of subversive thinking going on about rethinking the role of money in a sort of minimalist context. And so they write a lot about that. It's interesting things to check out. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Hi, my name is Joni. I live in Baltimore right now. Um, yay, yay, Baltimore. Um, but I'm, I'm originally from Puerto Rico, and I'm here with two fellow Puerto Rican beauties. <laughs> um, and I think we have each, in our own way, embraced minimalism and have incorporated it into our lives in ways that have been very meaningful. Um, and to the point where I think our questions have more to do with not material things, but other aspects of our lives that have opened up because we haven't put that much emphasis on the material. Um, so I'm personally a PhD student. I'm very passionate about what I am doing. I want to be a professor and teach and mentor. Um, and then recently came Hurricane Maria, which has been very impactful for a lot of us Puerto Ricans that live far away from home. And we've been struggling with ways to really impact our communities back at home um, and do something that is really making a difference in improving other people's lives. Um, and I guess two questions to that. The first is when you have your responsibilities, which you're still passionate about, but you have these new 
um, unexpected things that come and you're passionate about helping others, how do you balance those things? Because I know that you all have different experiences in helping communities that need that kind of assistance. And in addition to that, do you have any tips on how to really invest that extra extra time if it exists um, on, on managing really donating time and efforts to these different causes? No, that's, that's a great question because the, the balance between like doing something you love and paying the bills and going to school, um, there is certainly like a delicate balance that has to, has to take place. For the longest time, um, like when I was in the corporate world, I would tell myself like one day, Ryan, you're gonna have enough time to work at a soup kitchen or to do Habitat for Humanity. You're gonna have time to like give back. But right now, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna, you know, work these long weeks and you know, that'll, I'll get there one day. And when I was facing like 80% of my stuff in that, in that second living room, I was, uh, I was really hit hard with um, the decisions I had made up to that point. And I was kind of, you know, going over my narrative in my head. And it was get a good job, um, save a bunch of money, and retire early, uh, contribute when you finally have time to contribute. And I realized, like, <laughs> thinking about my bank account, I'm like, I am way upside down on retiring at, you know, 50 years old. Like, I wasn't even close. I was way in debt. Um, and then I'm looking at all this stuff, like, man, if I would have just not bought tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff, maybe I could have put that in the bank. And then I thought, like, wait a minute, uh, I, could, I could do more with my time if I didn't have so much, uh, so much need for, for all of these things. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't have to work those 80-hour weeks. And what I started to do before I left the corporate world is I started scaling back a little bit on my hours, and I started making time for uh, things like the soup kitchen and, and Habitat for Humanity. And, and, what, and what I'm saying is, is that it, it, you don't have to have a bunch of free time to do things that you love. You don't have to have a bunch of free time to contribute. The, the question isn't like, how can you do this one, like if you wanted to uh, you know, work 30 hours at a soup kitchen, I'm just throwing a random example out here. If that's what you wanted to do, Great, but if you don't have time to do that, you've got to, you've, you've got to think of something else. Like, okay, I'm not going to be able to commit that time. What else can I do? How much time do I have? And what can I do with that time to contribute uh, in a meaningful way to these causes that I really, really uh, want to, to focus on? And the, the best way to free up your time is it's to say no more often. So you can say yes to the things that you want to say yes to. And I'll tell you, like, it's hard to tell friends and family no, but they love you. They want you to be happy. They're going to support you. And if they don't, it doesn't matter anyway. Like, good, you got, like, you've, you've filtered them out of your life. <laughs> um, but, but uh, yeah, I, I guess if I had a pithy answer, and, and Josh and I say this all the time, um, you have to say no so you can say yes to the things that you really want to put your time into. So in the spirit of the, what do we call it, lightning round? Mm -hmm. All right, I'll, I have two quick thoughts, which I will say pithily. Um, 
One, I don't think we talk enough about seasonality in your professional life. I mean, this is something you often see when you study people who live interesting lives and do impactful things, is a sense of seasonality on different scales. So maybe within the week, hey, these days are hard, but then I'm going to scale back on this day to recharge. And then on the scale of months, you know, this month is really hard charging. We've got a paper deadline in the lab, but, you know, the month after I've cleared, so we're going to die down. On the scale of the year, the summer is going to maybe be a little bit less intense than the fall is going to be. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with seasonality. And the advantage of leaving the margin in your schedule to embrace it is that when something like this happens and something pops up where you say, I need to get involved in this, you're able to adjust the season. And you know, in some jobs, this is difficult to do. But I can tell you from experience, uh, when you're a PhD student, you have a lot of margin. You have a lot of flexibility, especially if you're sort of organized about what's on your plate in a way that not every PhD student always is. So there is a little bit of room there. And the second thing I would mention, uh, going off of Ryan, is that I think the new frontier of minimalism, the, you know, the future frontier, it's actually a frontier I'm writing a book about right now, so look out for your bookshelves soon, uh, is, is not your physical clutter, but your digital clutter. So I'm working on this book on digital minimalism. And at the core of this idea is that you can shift the role that digital tools play in your life from being this sort of default pacifier, sort of safety blanket entertainment into just tools that help you accomplish very specific things that are value to, valuable to you. You can do this in part by, for example, taking social media off of your phone. It's still on your computer at home. You can still access it. You can still do all the things that's valuable on it, but it's not there sort of trying to default grabbing at your attention. You can also do this by being much more intentional about this is what I use these services for most valuably. This is when I do it. It's Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. I mean, it turns out the average Facebook user in America spends a little over two hours per day on average engaged with Facebook or Facebook-related services. But if you sit down with someone and say, tell me the things you find most valuable about Facebook, they'll have a list. Often this list requires about maybe 20 minutes of engagement per week. You know, I want to see the baby pictures. I want to connect back with these people back home. And so having a sort of intentionality, a minimalism applied to your digital life, I think can clear up quite a bit of time and attention that we don't realize is being stolen away. I just have to say, I'm doing my dissertation on social media, which what you just said just... I, I need to I need to internalize that right now. <laughs> She's saying thank, thank you, Cal. You. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know what, man? You uh, w earlier when we were talking, you were talking about how you had your your day job, so you could invest in the things that you love to do. So yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you got some words of wisdom for this balance that she's trying yeah. to find. Well, I think I think um, yeah, I think you touched on an important thing, which this might get me kind of like maybe kicked off stage. Uh, but I got in a really good debate last night. I think it is possible to be a good minimalist and a bad person. Um, <laughs> and, see that. and I guess what I mean by that is, is I think that what minimalism does is it creates, uh, it creates margin. And then what you do with that margin is still, uh, is really that ultimately what we're here for is, is the things that we are creating margin for. So minimalism is that tool. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's just a very important distinction of, uh, of what we're driving towards and just uh, being able to create margin for causes that you care about and being able to invest in that. However, you can, like Ryan said, you know, using, um, you know, just whatever's available to you, not, not being yourself up if, if you don't have, you know, uh, I don't know, the majority of your time or whatever it may be. But, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's great, man. I mean, not beating yourself up like that is that is super key because, you know, if if Josh and I, if we were, if we had this like uh, plan from the very beginning, where I'm like, hey, let's start the minimalists, and then let's write three books, and let's do a documentary, and that podcast thing is pretty cool. Let's do one of those, and I would just I would have been beating myself up for the last seven years because if we went to try and do it all at once it would have just fallen apart and uh, from me beating myself up. So, you know, I guess what I'm really trying to say is, is, you know, is it, is it the contribution that you want to, uh, that you want to add into your life the most? Is it um, balancing uh, your time and saying no to more things? Like, don't, don't think of it as going at everything at once, but pick the most important thing that you know is going to, you know, help you, further uh, get, get you further down the road of where you're trying to go and, and start there thank you very much okay yeah go ahead clap <laughs> i hate when i interrupt clapping hi i'm uh, amy from herndon virginia and um appreciate the opportunity to ask a question i echo what many other people have said about the inspiration that i've received from reading everything you've written and also from the documentary. Um, I've written down my question in hopes of uh, being able to articulate it. Um, in a recent podcast, I loved that you said that you keep showing up to events like this, and I think all of us would agree we're grateful you showed up tonight and did not cancel. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys are having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that I try to show up as well in terms of sharing the message of minimalism and living simply. Um, but in doing so, it's not uncommon to receive kind of that raised eyebrow look when you talk about what you're doing and why you're getting rid of so many things and why this has ad added value to my life and why my life is so much better with less. And so I know it's a common question, um, but my only, my only regret about minimalism, frankly, is that I didn't start sooner and that I didn't start living simply sooner, and that's my single regret. So I'd like to inspire someone else to start sooner as well and not have those regrets as I do. So my question to you is, has there ever been a conversation or a moment where you saw the light bulb go off for someone, where what you said just made it all click without having them feel like you were trying to force them to change or force them to conform to your way of thinking? Um, I actually thought it lent itself to the pithy answer, but I'd love a pithy answer or a long answer. So, thanks. I'll give you both. Okay. No, thank you for the question. Yeah, I, I, especially with like family, like that is the, the biggest like now, oh, man, um, it's just been a hard road with the family. Um, I, they've always been like very loving, um, but they always give me that raised eyebrow, right? And uh, I remember like, yeah, my mom calling me and she found the website like a month after we had launched it. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, what is this minimalist crap? And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we talked about it and, you know, eventually I just, you know, kind of expressed to her, I was like, look, mom, I don't need you to have a packing party. I don't need you to be a minimalist. I'm not gonna come to your home and judge what you have. Like, this is a very individualistic uh, change that I wanna make in myself. I'm not trying to force this on anyone else. Um, but I am really depressed and I've got to do something different. And this is what I would like to try and do. And I, and I just, you know, had that conversation, 
and, and would say that to a lot of friends and family. And it didn't always like make that light bulb come on. But a few of the light bulb moments I can remember um, is my, my grandmother, she was like, I don't understand, like, you know, I don't understand what you're trying to do. I mean, how, uh, is it just like a bunch of rich white people that show up to your events or like, I mean, what, what is going on? And I'm like, I'm like, no, grandma. Uh, I'm like, it is, it's, it's very diverse. Like, I'm not trying to just preach to one uh, specific uh, person or, or, or class or whatever. I'm like, I'm really trying to show people that living a meaningful life it's possible to do that with or without a bunch of money, with or without a bunch of things. And if anything, this message is for someone who, who, who doesn't have a whole lot. Because that person right now, they're, they're sitting in their house and they're thinking, oh, I don't have all this stuff and I would just be happy if I got this stuff. And I, and, and what Josh liked to posit is that you might be happy with what you have and just making you know, a few minor changes. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Um, but, but I was having this conversation with her and I, and I finally did, she was like, oh, like, and then, and then all the questions came like, oh, so it's okay that I have that China cabinet with all the, the China in it because I really like it. And, and I'm like, yeah, grandma, like it's, I don't ever look at your China cabinet and think you shouldn't have that ever. Like if you really love it, great. And, uh, with, with my mom, she came, she came back, uh, or she came to visit, uh, in Montana, and she came back to uh, Mariah and I's apartment. Um, this was a couple years ago. She uh, had a suitcase, opened it up, and like she pulled out these gifts that she wanted to give us. And I was like, "Shit!" Like, <laughs> like the, the first thing, uh, the first thing that I'm, the first impression I'm having with my mom is, "Thanks for the gifts. I'm gonna have to like get rid of those when you leave." Um, <clears throat> of course, I would never say that to her uh, uh, again. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just, just smiled and, you know, before I could even really get any words out, she was like, hey, look, um, your place is beautiful. I really like your apartment. Um, I know this is new. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of Mariah. I just wanted to get you something to show you how proud of, of you guys that I am. And she was like, uh, this may not go with your decor. Like, this may not match your, your style, and that's okay. If you can't use these items, then you know, feel free to find those things a better home. And like that, it took like two years to get to that point with my mom before she really started to understand this concept. So, you know, I guess like the pithy answer would be if you want someone to, if you want to, I wanted to say push people towards minimalism, but that's not good. Um, <clears throat> if you want to, uh, if you want to bring people over to minimalism, the best way to do that is to show them respect and to support them. That's kind of how like Josh won you over, right? In yeah. regards to if, absolutely, as a, you just noticed how how free and happy he was, and I think the natural tendency is just to want that. And right? Want yeah. That for I mean, yeah. He never came to me and was like, "You should be a minimalist." I'm a minimalist. <laughs> this is what all the cool kids are doing. Um, no, it's it, he, he never did that. It was totally by him. Uh, uh, being the example, and I'll tell you, like when he started to um, started to be more deliberate with his time and and how, uh, like especially his work life, like I can tell you, like even I noticed him supporting me more um, with with whatever it was if I needed a ride somewhere, uh, going to a concert, you know, whatever it was. So 
so yeah, I mean, to, the best way to win people over is to show them support and, and to respect them. You got anything to add? You good? Well, I was going to say, yeah, you just be mean to them and <laughs> berate them. Yeah, right. that's actually it's actually an old trope in advice writing that people who are new to doing advice writing think their uh, their arguments are going to convince people that you have a better idea. But the reality is, it's the examples that convince people, and the arguments are just the details they're asking for. So this idea that sort of the practice trumps the preaching is something that in advice writing shows up all the time. You, you sort of, you, you give the image, if it, someone comes to it and says, this is what I want to do, then you have the argument waiting if they want some of the details. Okay, great. I'll stick with the leading by example then. So thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Giovanna. I am from Yorktown, Virginia, and I'm here with my husband, Daniel. Um, I guess my answer, well, my question, my answer, yeah. Oh my right God, finally someone else brought the answers. <laughs> so many questions I'm really nervous. <laughs> so um, my question is, how do you get people to take you seriously as a minimalist? So my husband and I recently got married in October, and we try to have a, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so we together try to have a small intimate wedding. So we had a ceremony and a reception. And um, as anybody in a wedding would ask, like, what do you want? What do you need for, as a gift? So our combined answer was, you know, your presence is more than enough, is, is all that we ask for. Because we have a lot of family that come from New York and from Florida. So if you can make it out to our wedding, that is exactly what we want from you. Um, but that answer did not fly with our family. They are very old school and they're like, well, you know, we can't give you, like, y y what do you mean, just us? Like, you don't want anything. So against our own like will, really, they gave us gifts, which we accepted gratefully. But as we were going through most of them, literally right before our honeymoon, um, we realized that we've gotten an abundance of things that we already had. So it was kind of like, how do you, how do you kind of translate um, that message of we're you know, we're transitioning our lives to being more minimal. We don't want an abundance of things. And we literally got three crock pots. Yeah, three different sizes. <laughs> and we already had one to begin with. So how Just do start we... having like potlucks. Exactly. Weekly potlucks at your place. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. But how do you, how do you, I guess from your friends and family, like kind of, how do you explain to them, you know, I am a minimalist. Like, how do you kind of, about so I don't ever I don't I will never tell someone I'm a minimalist don't buy me gifts because that's I think minimalism is like the most perfect word and then also like one of the worst words <laughs> uh, because like it, it, the worst word because like it when when I first heard minimalism I thought like stark white walls and I thought uh, monks and Josh showed me Colin Wright and I was like dude I like having a couch like I'm not I don't, I don't want to just be a peripatetic rider, like traveling with everything on my back. Um, so I, I, I won't use the word minimalism with people who aren't familiar with it because I, then I'll have to like explain exactly what that is. I mean, if someone is talking about buying gifts, I just simply set the tone of like, you know what, I've got everything I need, like you did. Um, uh, yeah, just, just, just your presence will be great. So you did that, that's great. Uh, but they didn't follow that. 
So two things are happening there. Um, one, they're not respecting you, honestly, and that's not, that's not cool. Um, the, 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 the second thing is, is that the, it was only that one time, it was only that one ask. So um, the next time that this comes up, whether it's, well, it's too late for Christmas, sorry. <laughs> too late for Christmas. It's, it's perfect time for Christmas 2018 to start talking about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but what I'll say is, is start setting that expectation consistently. Because that is when people start to take you serious, is when you are consistent. When I first started uh, you know, this journey, and, and I did start with like, yeah, I'm doing this minimalism thing. Like, yeah, I'm a minimalist. And they're like, you're weird. Um, and, and like, yeah, and because and they thought, you know, probably the same things that, you know, the things, same things that, that I thought uh, when I first heard the term. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to um, be, be consistent with those. So with those people, man, I'm like really going to just like spill it all out here. All right, so um, when I was with these people, uh, a, a lot of my friends, and even a lot of my family, they were used to the alcoholic, like, staying out uh, till 2 in the morning, racking up $300 bar tabs, uh, the, the drug addict, Ryan Nicodemus. So when I go to them and I say, hey, I'm a minimalist, they're like, <laughs> sure you are, buddy. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it took years for, like, like I just said about my mom, for her to take me seriously. It, in fact... Uh, my uncle, who I, I respect him so much, but he's always just giving me crap about. And he's like someone who, uh, it's not that I avoid him, but when we're at family gatherings, like I just try the best to like not, you know, not get into a sparring match with him with words, you know? And this last time I saw him, it was, uh, it was just a few weeks ago. We were in Ohio. We did a, a pumpkin car- carving thing and like kids were there and nieces and nephews and all that stuff. And my uncle was there, and man, like he after we had a really good conversation at that uh, at that pumpkin carving, and when I left, he sent me a text, and he was like, "Dude, he was like, you really have changed." He was like, "I cannot believe the transformation you've made over the last several years," and he's like, I, "You know, I am I am so proud to call you my nephew," and I have I, he, he has never been that kind to me when it when it has come to my lifestyle now. Seven years it's, it's taken him before he has, said, he has uh, said that to me. But the reason why he felt that necessary to say is because th- the consistency. So stay consistent and set the expectation early. Awesome. Anything to add? You guys good? I know, man. We are... I know, I, I, they're going to kick us out of here eventually. So we got one more question. Thank you. Let's jump to that. We'll do, we'll do a lightning round version of this question. All right. Okay, hi. I'm Valerie Chaveste, and I'm from a middle-class family from Gilbert, Arizona. Um, I came out to D.C. to go to Georgetown University, and my passion... Go Hoyas. Has, yeah, go Hoyas. And so my passion has always been to help other people, which doesn't make a lot of money in a place like D.C., and... So my question is really how, like what's your advice for being so good that they can't ignore you and also embracing a minimalist lifestyle and not going into extreme student debt Mm. um, when the baseline for responses to job applications is becoming a graduate degree? I know Cal's got some good advice. (laughs) Go for it. Well, you made made the right choice going to Georgetown. An old university with a great history. <laughs> I, I would just add the caveat that DC is particularly bad about this issue. 
So, I mean, speaking to, I guess, a broader podcast audience, there's a sort of a certain pathology. DC is a weird job market. And there's weird jobs in DC because they're, they're not the standard type of companies you would expect. They're tied to the, the associations and the government. It's, everything's a little bit weirder in DC and the credentialism is a little bit more ossified than it is uh, other places in the world. So uh, the first thing is to recognize that what you're experiencing is, is true of where you are. I mean, it's not, it's not an unusual complaint that you're having that it was very difficult to have the degree uh, to advance in certain fields around here. It's just sort of the way it is for, for better, for worse, and probably for worse in my opinion because I'm very skilled based. The only thing I would back up uh, and add to it is just sort of a, a general point is that the, the two notions that one, this idea of, you know, I talk about in that book about focusing relentlessly, especially early in your career, on producing value. What value do I bring? How valuable am I? Thinking a lot less about what value are you bringing me? How much do I like this job? Would I like another job better? That's actually really hard to do because it's not always obvious what's valuable and what's not. Where to put that energy. It's not just working hard. It's not just, it can be very uh, sort of difficult sometimes to really understand and decode and find these opportunities where, ah, if I go after this skill, it's suddenly be very valuable. So it is, it is very hard and, and it can take a while to do. But recognizing that it's hard helps because that's something for you to think about going forward to continue like you've been doing. I'm glad, I'm glad your dad forced you to read the book. That's, that's always the recommendation I like to hear. <laughs> Someone forced me to read this. <laughs> I'm gonna put that as a blurb on the back of the cover. My dad made me, yeah, my dad made me read this book and yeah. <laughs> Georgetown, um, that's true. Uh, but, but, you know, that is hard, and, and it, but the, the keeping that relentless focus will pay off even in this town. And then I, my broader point about degrees, because it is a complicated subject, is um, it always has, these decisions always have to be made in sort of a, a sort of intentional framework where you have a clear path. I now understand this industry. I understand a particular path that would be valuable to me. I see the work involved to do that path, but it's going to have real payoffs. And oh, here on the path is going to require masters of this, or maybe it's going to require like if a doctor, if you become a professor or something like that. Seeing a degree as part of a very intentional path that you really understand well because you now understand the industry, that is a much different scenario than what happens a lot of times in this town, which is I'm not quite sure what to do next, so why don't I go back to school? And so I see those as two very different things. All right, I gotta get on my phone now because I took notes. Josh made sure that uh, I, uh, I'm gonna read this text verbatim. <laughs> <clears throat> when you bring Canyon City on stage, please have him play Find You uh -oh. and tell him I said it's the best written song this year. Oh man. It really is, this is, this is our value added portion of the segment. And yeah, Paul, if you'd be willing to, man. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, no, I... This is going to be great for people at home, too. <laughs> man, I really need to learn like a dubstep routine or something like for, for, for like quiet moments on stage. <laughs> a beatboxer. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish I could beatbox, dude. I would totally do that. We can do the harmonies, right, Ryan? Yeah, right. <laughs> How hard can that be? Something like that, yeah. 
No, um, no, this is uh, it's such an honor to have, uh, have uh, Canyon City here, and um, the fact that he's going to do this for us all, it's really special. And, and if, if you've not heard this, this guy's album, it is unbelievable. It's one of my favorite albums of the year, and uh, yeah, this song, is, this song is great. All right, I'm running out of stuff to say, Paul. <laughs> I mean, this taking, my, this taking my time thing is working out really well for me. I just keep getting this. Yeah. I'm putting all these in my press blurb. <laughs> you should. That's what Ryan Nicodemus said. So uh, some of you may have actually... Cool. Uh, some of you may have actually heard this. If you were here early enough, uh, around the 7.15-ish time zone. But uh, we'll go ahead and give it another try here. So uh, by the way... Guys, thank you so much for just letting me like take up space on your stage. <laughs> Seriously, it's man, it's I uh, I got to see these guys do this in Nashville last night, and they both rocked it. Uh, they both have such great great perspectives, but also Ryan, way to just like make it happen, man, in a, in, a, in a pinch. So hats off to you, my friend, too, and Cal, you as well. Lately we've been trying to read through the lines Like bars between us, a single room holding two lives I had this dream and I couldn't reach through the fire I prayed for downpours Rain and lightning to strike down all I had. All be the storm in the shelter, and all be the feeling you're not alone. I'll keep everything and nothing, and all that's leave the city and life behind us. All to guide through as all these minutes slow down all I want now is to find you again lately we've staring demons in the eye made a habit Past all the white lies Just be honest Has it ever been fine? Come on, watch this Frame forever Go on and on and on And blow by These at your window Coming home, I'll keep everything and nothing. All that's leave the city and life behind us. All steel, moonlight to guide through all these. And it slow down. All I want now is to find you 
is to find you again And I'll keep time watching stars by the moon heartbeat It stops as it shines on you I'll keep everything and nothing And oh, let's leave the city and life behind us I'll God moves all these and it slow down. All I want now is to find you again. awesome um thank you so much paul that was god that was great um all right i got a couple more things i got to uh man see josh usually does this this is where i knew i was gonna like flip everything up all right so i gotta go with the thank yous uh already thank sean jess yeah so those of you who don't know who jess is jessica williams she is uh she is like the woman behind uh the minimalism social media and uh, I got to say, if, if it wasn't for her, it would not look as, as beautiful and, and clean. And those millennials, they really know what they're doing with that stuff. So <laughs> let's give her a round of applause, please. Um, who else? Who else? Um, well, dude, how about this theater? So I got here... Uh, I don't know, it's like 6 o'clock or 5.30 or something. I had an interview and then literally was like panicking upstairs for an hour. <laughs> Did not even come down and do sound check. The first time I saw this room is when I walked out that door. And my God, this theater is beautiful, right? Let's give uh, Sixth and I a round of applause. Yeah. And of course, I want to thank these two awesome gentlemen. Thanks for uh, helping me fend all the questions up here. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Cal Newport in Canyon City. So if they want to find more about you, Cal, where, where do they go to find out more about you? Your books, your talks, your TEDx talks, your awesomeness, where do they go? Well, I've never had a social media account, so I'm not, I need to hire Jess, I guess. I'm not nearly as visible. <laughs> I do have a website, calnewport.com. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Exactly. And what about you? Uh, you can find me at canyoncitymusic.com and then at Canyon City Music on uh, whatever your, your favorite socials, and I'll try not to use it too much. <laughs> do you guys got like MySpace accounts or anything they can look up? Yeah. Tinder ah, profiles, no. anything like that? My friendster yeah. is looking for Your friendster? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's great. And the last person I want to thank is you. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much for supporting me up here. Uh, without my counterpart, I, I can't say it enough. And I know that you all, you spent some money to be here. And, and that really means a lot to us. It allows us, to, uh, it allows us to, to pay Sean, to pay Jess. It allows us to have this beautiful theater and, and I just can't say thank you enough, but you guys gave up two even more precious resources. And that's your time and your attention. 
And for that, I am really, really grateful. So if you leave here with just one message, I hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thank you so much, Washington, D.C. The Minimalists. <laughs>